Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. For the podcast this week, we're going to play a lecture that I gave and recorded for my residents at Wednesday conference about rocuronium versus succinylcholine in rapid sequence intubation in the emergency department. Our show notes are going to have all of the references that I talk about, as well as some foam posts about this topic as well. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast, and please send along any feedback that you have. Should we just be using rocuronium for all tubes? Do I use succinylcholine for anybody? And as a lot of the faculty and probably senior residents know, uh, I think it was about two and a half years ago, three years ago, succinylcholine was on shortage, and everyone sort of panicked, and they're like, we don't have succinylcholine. But we have a perfectly adequate substitute that's actually a better drug than rocuronium. So just a quick 10 minutes on why I think rocuronium is a superior drug for intubation. So the goal is what I want to talk about is simple. Our job when we see a patient who we determine needs an airway is to secure the airway. That's it. That's our job in that particular scenario. And everything that we do has to feed towards that. So when we think about succinylcholine versus rocuronium, the questions have to be, what's going to make it easier for me to secure this tube? And whether that's a tube or another device or a surgical airway, that's the question, securing that airway. So why is it that we love succinylcholine? I actually don't love succinylcholine, but we as a group of emergency physicians love succinylcholine. I'm not sure. I think a lot of this is actually historical. There was a time when the only options that we had for intubation were succinylcholine and atomity. That was it. If you wanted to intubate someone, it was no longer that, oh, maybe I should use ketamine. Maybe I want to use rock You have sucks and you have atomity. You know the doses. Actually, our job's a lot easier when I started training because we really had to know dosages for two different intubation medications. We had to know the sucks dose, we had to know the atomity dose. That was it. Now you guys have all these options and you gotta actually know all of those options. So I think a lot of why we love sucks was this, but there were some other reasons as well. Succinylcholine is fast on. I don't think anyone's going to disagree, and I'm not going to tell you that that's wrong, because it's true. Succinylcholine works really, really super fast. But, you know, rocuronium actually works pretty fast, too. So if you give the high-dose rocuronium, and uh, I think I discussed this with Stephen last week when we did an intubation, the idea of, oh, the dose of, of rocuronium is 0.8 to 1.2 mg per kg. No, it's not. It's 1.5 milligrams per kilogram. Why? Because you try and multiply 0.8 times the person's weight when you are in the act of having to resuscitate somebody. See how that works for you. I have, on occasion, added 5 plus 7 and gotten 14. And then done it again and gotten 14 again. And again, it's 12. I know there's some <laughs> questions from, you guys are kind of like, Mike's like, 14 sounds right. You can't do math when you're stressed. That is one of the first things that leaves our brain. 1.5 times 70 times 80, it's a really easy math to do. You want to make it even easier? Just do two. Because you know why? There's no such thing as over-paralysis. It doesn't exist. Now, for the attendees in the room, has anyone under-paralyzed someone? I've under-paralyzed someone. It sucks, and that's not a witty remark at all. So there's this article, uh, this is Best Bets from the, this is either from the BMJ or the Emergency Medicine Journal, which is part of BMJ. They look at all the literature and they basically say that if you give high-dose rocuronium, there is no difference in time to onset between that and succinylcholine. Maybe five seconds. It's not relevant. Okay, why else do we love succinylcholine? Well, this is from the near registry, and when the near registry was initially put together, the ratio of sucks to rock was 90 to 8. 
So if you took 100 intubations, 90 of them were intubated with succinylcholine, 8 were intubated with rock, you're like, wait, what about the other two? Some of those were awake, some of them got vecuronium or maybe cisatricurium, other drugs that we don't use anymore. Now it's more like 60-40. So emergency medicine docs have sort of started to move more towards rocuronium naturally. This is really the big take-home point. Keep it simple. The simpler you keep the intubation, the more likely that it will be successful. And I think rocuronium actually makes this process simpler. So we think about all the things that we do to oxygenate a patient. Right? These are some of the things that we do. Nasal cannula on full blast. Non-rebreather on full blast. Maybe we're going to give them BiPAP or CPAP to pre-oxygenate them. We have all this stuff going on. And then we push a paralytic, which we know is going to make them desaturate. So what we'd like to do is to maintain that pre-oxygenated state as long as humanly possible. And I actually think that rocuronium is better for that. There are two articles looking at this, and these are not in ED populations. These are in anesthesia patients. But the bottom one is actually fairly relevant to us because it's overweight patients. These were obese patients in the operating room. That sort of mimics some of the pathophysiology that we see in the emergency room. These are patients who are sort of set up to have a rapid desaturation. And what they found was that rocuronium bought you more time before they desaturate. 46 seconds more time. That's a lot of time. If you think about airway time, 46 seconds is an eternity. Now, why is that? It's probably the fasciculations that you get from succinylcholine eating up oxygen. Now, I don't know that for sure, but the pathophysiologic mechanism makes sense. So we go back to succinylcholine, and the other thing that people quote as a good reason to use is because it's fast off. So I got a guy who I intubate, I give him succinylcholine, oh crap, I can't intubate him. Oh, but the medication wore off, and he woke up, and look, he looks great. Why don't we just send him to Oz? I mean, um, why don't we? Sorry, I, I, I had no choice on that one. Um, but fast off is crap. Because remember, the goal that we have set out for ourselves is taking care of the airway. There are very few patients that come into the ED that I'm like, maybe you should be intubated. Not really. Maybe I don't need to intubate. You know what? Let's try. Let's try and intubate. And if it doesn't work, we'll just leave you. You can just take care of yourself. It doesn't happen. Once I've committed to the pathway of taking care of the airway, I have to take care of the airway. So if you give them sucks and you can't intubate them, now you have to find the second route of intubation. Now whether that is you're going to bounce it up to the fourth year, you're going to bounce it up to the attending, you're going to call anesthesia, or you're going to cut the neck, you're going to put mouth, whatever it is, I still need the patient parallels. So this time of offset doesn't really make any sense because we're not going to wake patients up. We're not anesthesia. We don't get to say, oh, I forgot my erasure CD today. Why don't we just cancel the case and then we'll move it to tomorrow? This doesn't happen. Right? Anesthesia gets to do that. You, may, you guys may or may not have seen this in the OR, but they bring in someone, they, they start the process, they look and they're like, oh, this guy's anatomy is really messed up. Let's wake him up, let's take him out, let me think about how to do this and we'll bring him back tomorrow. And they should do that. That's exactly what they should be doing. But we don't have that option. Our patients don't get to say, I'll have my AAA tomorrow. Why don't you go ahead and intubate me next week? So we don't get that option. We need to secure the airway. That is our goal once we've determined that the airway needs to be secure. We have to secure it. Now most intubations are easy, and in an easy intubation, I don't really care what you give them. You give them succinylcholine, easy intubation, no problem. You give them rocuronium, easy intubation, no problem. But we know that it's hard to predict difficult airways. I can predict this is a difficult airway. Yeah, I know that's a difficult airway. Big tongue, short neck, morbidly obese, right? We know that. I don't even know where to put the pulse on us. We know this is difficult too, but most of our intubations that end up being difficult, if you ask somebody that's really honest, I didn't think it was going to be difficult going in. 
If we thought it was going to be difficult going in, we probably would have had more backup. It probably wouldn't have ended up as much of an issue. So most of the time, we can't predict this. And eventually, this is where we get with difficult intubations, right, or challenging intubations. The end of all of this is a crike. Who wants their patient to be unparalyzed and moving while you're trying to crike them? Oh, no one's raising their hand. Nobody wants that, right? And there are, there are not case reports, because no one would write this up, but I have talked to people, I have anecdotes of, yeah, the game sucks, I couldn't intubate him, I went to cut the neck, and he grabbed my hand while I was doing that, and I thought that was a bad idea. So what happens is you give them suctional choline, you can't intubate them, they're not amenable to LMA. Whatever the issue is, you decide that you need to crite that person. Now someone's got to go and scramble for a second dose of suctional choline or a dose of rocuronium. And we know these are high stress situations. So now I'm sending one of my nurses away to go get another medication that I gotta wait for. And then I gotta push it. And then I gotta make sure that it works. With rocuronium, I get 45 minutes. 45 minutes that they're paralyzed for. Yeah, they're paralyzed for 45 minutes. So if I can't put the tube in and I need to cut the neck, I can cut the neck. And I don't have to worry about getting another dose. It's all about keeping things simple. So caution. Are there places where we have to be wary about using succinylcholine? Well, yeah, there are. Succinylcholine has contraindications. These are some of the contraindications. These are not the ones that we're worried about. If you guys can't read this, it says it may cause respiratory depression. I guarantee it will. But I asked one of my friends, Min Lacombe, about this, because in um, Australian and HEMS, they've converted completely to rocuronium. They don't use succinylcholine at all. And this is sort of their algorithm. This is their can you sucks sort of slide that they put up when they do their HEMS training and say, this is why you can't use sucks. Because these are never used situations. These are the give less, give more, no problem. The problem is that these patients are usually an extremist. I don't get to ask them, have you ever had malignant hyperpyrexia before? Do you have muscular dystrophy? We don't often get the time to ask those questions. And again, this is a stressful situation. I really don't want to ask all those questions. I want to keep things as simple as possible. Now, what about rocuronium? Are there contraindications to rocuronium? Not really. There really aren't any hard and fast contraindications to rocuronium, but there is one, and I actually asked a friend. Hey, Scott Weingart here. Numerous times in the past on the podcast and at conferences, I've said that rocuronium is my preferred agent for muscle relaxation in RSI, and I continue to maintain that viewpoint. But I would say for the majority of people out there that are not diligent enough to care about their patients post-intubation sedation, you are not qualified to use rocuronium. Choose succinylcholine in that way when your failings at taking care of your patient's pain and sedation are brought to bear on the patient's clinical course. They will be capable of moving around and expressing their misery. If you choose to use rocuronium and have not thought ahead of time about how you are going to control your patient's pain and sedation during their period of paralysis, then you are not entitled to use the drug and just choose succinylcholine with very little loss on clinical efficacy for the intubation itself. Rock is a drug that should only be used by people that are competent and caring about the patient's course in the post-intubation period. Choose and have mixed up your sedation and analgesia agents before you actually push the drugs for RSI. We shouldn't be using this drug if we're not comfortable doing post-intubation sedation because the patient's going to be paralyzed for far longer than your atomidate or your ketamine or your propofol, whatever you gave them to put that tube in. 
So as soon as you're calling for your RSI meds, you should also be calling for your post-intubation sedation and analgesia. This is something that we all fall short on. I'm not blaming anyone in particular. This is all of us who have done this. And then we send the nurse scrambling for a propofol trip, right? We do this all the time. Now, a lot of people bring up that the neurocritical care patient, the patient with the bleed in their head, that's a contraindication to rocuronium because we need to re-examine them. I'm not sure that I buy that. How many times have we seen neurosurgery cut simply based on their examination? I haven't seen it in 11 years. Unless you count the CT scan as part of that evaluation. They're cutting based on the CT scan. I want to get that CT scan, I want to get it expeditiously. I have no problem giving rock urinary for these patients. It lasts for about 45 minutes. By the time you get the airway secured, you get them off the CT, you get their CT scan done, you bring them back to the trauma slot, they're almost awake again. Now it turns out there's a reversal agent for rocky running that was just FDA approved today called Sugamedics. So Sugamedics, you give it and it reverses rocky running within minutes. So this is not going to be a problem anymore. In these rare cases, this is no longer going to be an issue. We'll get Sugamedics, we'll have the reversal agent. It's not very expensive. It's been around for a while, just not in the US. But for now, I still don't really care. The things that I know are bad for patients with this kind of a bleed is hypoxia, hypercarbia, and spiking their ICP. You know what's a good way to spike someone's ICP? Take your two fingers and shove them down their throat. Or put an ET tube in there. That's going to make a patient buck. Bucking increases ICP. And even if you've got them sedated, when you move them from bed to bed, from bed to CT scan, that's an agitation for them. They will buck. You can't necessarily know that you have them sedated enough for those transfers. I don't want their ICP to spike ever in these patients. Alright, so just to sum it up, I called another friend. My name is Haney Malamet, and here are my top three reasons for using rocuronium over succinylcholine for rapid sequence intubation. One, we have patients that roll through the emergency department without any history at all, any time to get lab tests, who need definitive airways. And I would like to use a drug that doesn't have any adverse effects. And succinylcholine is known to increase your potassium. So why would I want to use a drug that has even the slightest chance of increasing that person's potassium, even to life-threatening levels? Use rocuronium. Two, succinylcholine has been associated with decreases in apnea time in some anesthesia literature, possibly due to the deep fasciculations from succinylcholine. So use rocuronium and get more apnea time. And the third reason is I don't want that person to move at all during the attempts at intubation. Now, people who support the use of succinylcholine will say, well, if I can't pass that tube, then I'll just wake that person up, and then we'll have them breathe, and we'll figure out another plan. This is not the operating room. Once you decide that you need to get a definitive airway in the emergency department, then you need to get a definitive airway. And the last thing I want to do is have that person start moving around when I'm ready to do my crike. So I want something that's going to last long. Well, there are lots more reasons why I like rock urine over succinylcholine, but those are my top three reasons, and I think the most important. Thanks for listening. Take care. So I don't really love sucks. I do love rock, though. And I would use rock for every two, but succinylcholine went away. It didn't really impact me very much, except to convince me that I don't need the drug at all. And again, this is the key. Simplicity is the key to brilliance. RSI is made easier by making things simple. So I'm going to call for rock uranium every time. I'm going to use a nice, easy number, 1.5 mg per kg. It's a far easier number to multiply. Whatever you want to use for your induction agent, doesn't matter to me, but rock uranium should be our go-to for every two. Keep calm. Push the rock uranium. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content EM. 
We're going to have a post up this Wednesday on hypocalcemia management and a journal update on Thursday on the Nexus chest rule in blunt trauma. Visit us on Facebook and like us if you like the site. Visit our Google Plus page and follow us on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks and see you all next week.